And welcome, Hoosier fans, to a disappointed edition of the Assembly Call as today your Indiana Hoosiers fell 69-60 to at Illinois, leaving the Hoosiers now at 5-4 and on the season. Uh, this was a game, uh, as, as, as my co-host and I discussed before the game, uh, followed a similar plot line as what we've seen from IU before, although... Uh, a bit different this time around for this year. The start was was not nearly as sluggish as it had been. Uh, the teams played an ugly but close first half, and IU went in down two at the break, uh, thanks really almost entirely to the play of Trace Jackson Davis and Armand Franklin in the first half. And then in the second half, IU made a run, uh, eventually found themselves up 49 to 45 or 44, uh, following an unexpected Jordan Geronimo three pointer. But the team overall had played really well well uh, to start the second half. Trace got in foul trouble. The guards really responded. Uh, Al Durham and Rob Finnessy came out and played much better in the beginning of the second half uh, than they had in, the, in these last few games. Gave IU a little bit of life, but uh, that 49-44 to 44 lead quickly disintegrated thanks to a 14-0 Illinois run. IU made an effort to uh, to get it close by the under four timeout and then really struggled uh, with decision making and shot making down the stretch uh, and ended up losing the game by nine. And uh, just, you know, again, a, a lot of similar themes, uh, it feels like, to what we've seen uh, in the past. And, and we'll get into all that here uh, as we uh, as we talk about the show. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, here with special guest Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast. And we'll break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Let's start this show the way we start every show, and that is with our Who's Your Proud Banner moment. Uh, it always it wasn't as hard to find a banner moment in this game, I guess, as it was in the Northwestern game. Uh, I may need a break from hosting, quite frankly, uh, after these last couple games. But uh, I, I'll give I'll give credit to IU for a, an eight two run on the on the heels of that fourteen uh, zero Illinois run. Uh, you took uh, what it's what was it second time out uh, during that stretch, and they came out. Trace got an and one. That was actually his only basket of the second half, I believe. Then uh, Armand made a uh, made a three off a really nice set, and then Al had a drive. So you know they make an eight two run, cut the lead to sixty to fifty seven at the under four timeout, and so you like the bounce back at that point. The problem was that what preceded that were about six empty possessions uh, that they had there, and and just kind of too late to respond as the floodgates open for Illinois' offense. But I did like what you saw there um, from the team to really bounce back and give themselves a chance uh, against a tough team on the road. You're in the game at the under four timeout, which I think if you set out at the beginning of the game and said, hey, would you would you settle for being down three at the under four? I feel like Archie Miller would have said yes. Uh, and things didn't go well from that point, but uh, it, it was maybe too little too late to put up some resistance there. But uh, did think that that stretch of play, uh, you know, featuring guys that IU really needs to step up in those moments uh, will serve as tonight's banner moment. Uh, with that, uh, our banner moment, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Home Field Apparel, who is now in their fourth season of sponsoring the assembly call. With winter here and hoodie weather officially now arrived, you need to make your way over to their website, homefieldapparel.com. They have something unique for everyone on your shopping list, especially IU fans, and all of their apparel is printed on the softest, most comfortable, most washable material you'll find anywhere. Uh, want a few suggestions? Galen and I are both wearing home field shirts today. I've got a, a IU, one of their uh, IU football designs that they rolled out last year. Uh, my 
my daughter, uh, she got a, uh, a two-lane surfing pelican for, for Christmas, and my mother-in-law got the IU Rose Bowl uh, sweatshirt, and uh, everybody was happy with, with that. So um, certainly at our house, uh, everyone is uh, loving home field apparel and certainly would encourage everyone to go and check out what they've got there. But remember, it's not just IU gear. If you have anyone on your gift list that went to another school, home field may well have gear for them too. They serve fans from Akron to Xavier, Hawaii to Pitt, and from Hope College to the Colorado School of Mines. Their designs are so unique, interesting, and vintage that you may end up like me, buying shirts and hoodies for schools you've barely heard of just because you like the design. And you can always save on Homefield uh, at Homefield by using the promo code ASSEMBLY20 at checkout. It'll give you 20% off your entire order throughout the year. So go to homefieldapparel.com, load up your shopping cart, and enter ASSEMBLY20 at checkout to get 20% off. Uh, included in that deal is a few new IU designs that they rolled out uh, for the football team at the end of uh, last week, or I guess, no, early this week. I have no idea what day it is. Uh, so again, go check those out as well as all the other great things they have there at homefieldapparel.com. All right. Well, with that, it's time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team, which today is our good friend Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. So, Galen, uh, kind of thoughts on the game and the uh, somewhat predictable script that you pretty much laid out for everyone through the Crimson Cast Twitter account at one point in the second half. Yeah, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, unfortunately, with this game. I mean, it's disappointing because the game felt like it was winnable, and it felt like the way that Indiana had recovered from some early troubles, the way they'd recovered from not having Trace Jackson Davis play particularly well on offense in the early part of the game. Uh, you know, it looked they looked into it. They looked like they were in rhythm. The effort that we've been asking out of this team was there. Rob Finnessy recovered from a really bad few moments in the first half when he barely played and looked like he was really engaged. And then it all just went away. And I think that that's rapidly becoming the MO of Archie Miller's teams at IU is they'll have these moments where they'll be in the game. It'll be back and forth. Maybe they'll, they'll get a big lead. There'll be this nice emotional surge. And then it's like they take their foot off the gas and it's a seven Oh run or it's an 11 Oh run as it was in this case. And they never get back into it. And it was actually a little bit more of a car crash at the end of this one than it normally is. They normally keep it a little bit close together, but we already saw this this year against Florida state. Um, you know, it's it's just it's hard to get yourself excited for the game sometimes when you feel like every game could end up ending like this one, where you can get invested in certain parts of the game, and then at the end of it, a couple of things happen and it all falls apart. So, uh, you know, look, Illinois, I think is probably one of the top ten, fifteen teams in the country, and so there's no necessarily any there's not really shame in losing at Illinois. But by the same token, it feels like anybody can beat anybody anywhere this year. And the way that Indiana played in this game probably should have been able they should have been able to carry it through the full 40 minutes instead of just 30 or 35. Well, I'd amend your statement by saying no one can beat Northwestern anywhere this year. But <laughs> otherwise, all all options are on the table. Now, I think I think what you what you said is true. And, and to me, it's really frustrating if you if you went into the game and said, I use going to lose to Illinois by nine in this game. I don't know that anybody would be shocked by that. I wouldn't be caught off guard. And if you saved me the last couple hours and just told me that's how it was going to play out, I, I would probably go on about my day, but it's, it's kind of, it's like, it's like when you're playing, you know, college troops, two K eight. And it's like, should I sim this game or should I play it? If I know what the outcome is going to be, if you just sim it and it's like, well, we lost by eight fine. Okay. We'll move on. No big deal. Yeah. I think it, but I think it actually makes it feel worse by watching it play out and, and you know, just key stretches in the game. And, and 
it, it was really a tale of two halves from the from backcourt perspective. The guards outside of Armand Franklin did basically nothing in the first half. I mean, you got 20 minutes from Allen Robb, who had no points, no rebounds, no assists, and a turnover. Then they really came out and played well at the beginning of the second half, but Trace struggled a lot. And I guess that's where, uh, I guess that's where we'll we'll start. Um, a guy that IU has really counted on over the course of the season. He finishes three of thirteen from the floor today. Uh, scored eleven points, five of five from the free throw line, eight rebounds. Uh, got himself in a little bit of foul trouble. Archie sat him for about four minutes in the second half after he picked up his third. Basically, just running a guy over. Uh, I'm not really sure if it was worthy of a foul, but that's neither here nor there. And IU, for the first part of that, was able to steal minutes uh, without him. And and it felt like maybe the timeout came a, a possession too late, and the chance to get him in the game came a possession too late. Um, you know, before Illinois took the lead. But either way, Trace really struggled throughout. Felt like he was trying to avoid contact a bit with Kofi Coburn, which. Uh, I think I can respect and uh, I would probably do the same thing, but uh, just really felt like he was taking a lot more off balance shots and kind of falling away uh, from the basket and and just was a matchup that he really struggled with. And I think that as much as anything with him being in foul trouble and not being able to score effectively in the second half was where things started to really get away from them. And so, so did you, did you see anything other than, you know, Illinois wasn't doubling him. They were basically just playing him straight up uh was it just a case of him not going strong enough and what do you what do you attribute his performance to yeah i think a lot of it was from the moment that he hit the floor it looked like trace jackson davis was perhaps too conscious of coburn blocking his shot or coming across on his shot and he was altering the trajectory of his shots unnecessarily i think from the get-go and you know three for 13 from the field you know only five total free throw attempts. Those are very untraced Jackson Davis like numbers. And that's, I think probably, look, you want to have a certain degree of caution around a guy with that size, but you can't be afraid to go directly at him and try to pick up fouls, you know, try to use your quickness. That's, that's where your advantage happens to be. I think that really it's also though a byproduct of trace Jackson Davis has a tendency to get a little too cute around the rim. And we'd only notice the game's, where you know he he scores a lot of points and he's almost unstoppable but there have been some games so far this year where he has struggled with his touch around the rim and you know some of that has i think had to do with the way that he's changed his shot trajectory he was only 5 for 12 against Texas which wasn't a whole lot of different uh, from what we saw today he was 5 for 15 against Providence so it's not unheard of that he would have a game like this it some of it had to do with Coburn but i think some of it is just he had a bad game offensively, and that's unfortunate, but it is something he'll do on occasion. Yeah, so the other thing I wanted to – I guess a couple other things to, to hit early here. So so one is just um, the offense. Uh, there continues to be struggles. Again, you had three guys score over four points in this game. Armand Franklin continues to be uh, a revelation of sorts with 23 points, was 8 of 12 from the field, including 5 of 6 from three-point range. Uh TJD, as we mentioned, had 11, and then Al Durham had nine, all of which came in the second half, although he was four of 12 from the floor in, in totality, one of five from three, and nobody else scored more than four points. And while the defense during the stretch of the game that that Illinois made that run in was not good, there was a ton of, as I charted these, you know, lots of layup, you know, IO wide open. He got super hot, ended up with 30 in the game. But this team's offense is not good enough to to be able. There's just no margin for error, and I feel like again, speaking of the the you know recite the script from the last game 
it, you, this is a recite the script from other post game shows of you know the, the offense is so poor that it leads no margin for error and against a good team you're going to maybe not a 14-0 run but they're going to a team like Illinois is going to make a run at you and during that stretch I use offense just wilted and played really poorly in key stretches including uh you know the last 4 minutes after that under 4 timeout and I at this point Archie tried playing some different guys, started Trey Galloway instead of Rob Finnessy. Anthony Leo got some minutes in the first half. Christian Lander got probably a few extra minutes in the first half, but neither of those guys saw the floor in the second half. I I, I don't, Galen, I'm going to ask you the impossible question. like, how do you fix this offense at this point? Uh, or is this what we're just resigned to uh, as fans watching this game, watching this team? It's bad and it's getting worse. It feels like this season. And I think it's going to get worse unless something changes in the aggressiveness of the way that this team plays. I mean, I thought that when Rob Finnessy was out in the first half, I thought the offense looked a bit better than it normally does. It looked like there was more effort to get the ball into places faster. And then you know, it wasn't as bad with Rob in the second half as it has been in past second halves in the first part of the, the the of the second half. And then as you got further in, it regressed right back to where it had been before. And I think so much of this team's offensive problems come down to a lack of aggression and this single-minded focus on getting the ball to Trace Jackson Davis in the low post. And Teams are just going to start pushing further and further out of the low post. They're, they're not going to let Trace Jackson Davis catch the ball down there unmolested. I think you could get away with that early on in the season. You're not going to get away with it in the Big Ten. And so what's your what's your option? And the problem is, unless IU's got like a seven or eight point lead going into the last five minutes, they have to run offense that's going to yield open shots with guys that can hit the shots. And frankly, the, the several of those last possessions on offense looked like they were hastily designed on a Dunkin' Donuts napkin about an hour before the game. Like there was no flow. You had no spacing. You had guys standing within three feet of each other. You got Trey Galloway taking a three. I mean, no offense to Trey. I thought he played hard today, but that's not the guy you want taking a sh- that particular shot there. Like where, where's your, your senior who's supposed to be one of your best three point shooters spotting up, you know, where's the drive and kick? Where where are all these things? It's like they try one thing, it doesn't work, and then they have to reset. And by that time, the shot clock is done. So I'd love to say that um, I or or somebody else that's observing this team from outside, you know, had some insight that the folks inside the locker room don't have. I, it's just not the case. And ultimately, what I think you've got is an offense that needs a complete makeover, and you're not going to get that now that you're in the middle of a Big Ten season, essentially. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, the possessions down the stretch, and even during the during that 14-0 run, I mean, you had an Armand drive and sh- had a shot altered a bit. Race had a shot blocked. You know, Fennessey missed an open, you know, a wide-open three coming out of a timeout. Armand turns the ball over. Al misses a wide open three and TJD had an air ball. And then you go to the the stretch down at the end. So again, I kind of mentioned coming out of that under four timeout, you had Trey Galloway foul a guy on an inbounds play, give up two points that way. So then you're down five race misses a layup. It was challenged, but that was a really nice play design. Got him the ball right by the basket and missed foul again. Uh, Illinois misses the free throw. Galloway takes that three after a really you know, non-aggressive possession, as you mentioned before, where the ball just kind of circles the perimeter, does that. Then you had a, a turnover from Trace where, you know, the ball hits off of him and an Illinois defender and the bottom of the backboard and him again uh, at some point. And, and just key stretches where you don't 
it just the awareness of of who needs to get the ball, who needs to take the shots, you know, when to be aggressive defensively just isn't there. And I think that ultimately begs the other main storyline to me that comes out of this game is the is the coaching. Um, I don't, you know, you as I mentioned, you did see Archie try some different things, and I think the insertion of Galloway into the lineup. If for nothing else, then he's a guy who is tends to be a bit more aggressive, uh, at least from what we've seen so far, makes some sense. And I thought at times that that paid dividends, although, again, you go into the under, you know, the first time out and you make two subs. And at that point, you're leading the game five to one. And it had been ugly, but you were starting to get a little bit of rhythm. And then you sub guys in and you don't really continue that momentum. And some of the decision making down the stretch just looked like a team that to me didn't feel like it was well coached and and well equipped to handle the scenario that it found itself in. And so in what has been labeled a prove it year for Archie uh, in a lot of ways, I think these last couple games um, don't, don't do a lot to, to calm fears about people who think that things may not be headed in the right direction. No, look, I'm not going to sit here and defend Archie Miller, uh, you know, after another performance where his team was overwhelmed by, a, a you know a conference foe that they should be at least within shouting distance of. I mean, especially if you look at overall growth of programs. I mean, there's no excuse for losing to Northwestern. I was trying to explain to a friend of mine the other day who was like, "Hey, Northwestern's pretty good," and I'm like, "Look, there's believe it or not, still a justifiable stigma about losing at home to Northwestern if you're Indiana basketball." And Again, you know, in a vacuum, losing to Illinois may not be that bad, but when you have a winnable game in a season where Illinois has not lived up to their own expectations and you frankly lose because you make a thousand little mistakes throughout the course of the game, that is pretty hard to justify when you take the entirety of what's gone on with the program in totality. You know, and and what's I think frustrating about it is that there's just it's not just the lack of consistency from the way that this team is playing. It's also the fact that there's, when you look at the way that the players have performed, you're getting, you get a great performance on the road out of Armand Franklin, eight for 12, five for six from three scores, 23 points. And you get essentially nothing out of your other starting, you know, guard, your senior guard, you get very little out of the guy who's normally your starting point guard. You get, essentially nothing out of your bench. I mean, you got you got four made shots and two of those were Rob Finnessy. And I think they came on like back-to-back possessions or something very close to it. Yeah. If and, it wasn't back-to-back, it was two out of three. Yeah. And and it's just the 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 inability of this team to consistently execute, to look like they know what they're doing and and you know are able to execute their will on a regular basis. It's um so much of this game is about confidence so much of this game is about being able to feel good about what you're doing. And this team just looks tentative. I, I was trying to think about this. Like, what does this remind me of, Andy? And frankly, it reminds me of the last few years of the night era where you'd see talented IU teams that many of our, our listeners will remember who had you know, All-Americans on their roster or guys that would be All-Americans in college, guys that would go to play in the pros and there'd be games where they looked good and everything went well. And then there'd be games where they looked like they didn't want to be there and, and had a real hard time executing when it mattered. And, you know, that's just how it feels right now with the way that these IU teams are playing. And, and I do think that to a large degree that stems from 
the coaching and the situation that uh, the players are being put in. And look, I, I'm not, I didn't come on here to be overly critical of Archie Miller, but it's hard to be, it's hard to defend what's going on with this team when even in the games that they're winning, it's hard to get terribly excited about the way they're doing that. Yeah, I think it just becomes, and as I look back, you know, we, we talked a little bit on the, after the Northwestern game, Ryan and I, I think there were some Archie Miller related things that came up, but as I kind of look back at the show, I, I kind of felt like we didn't talk enough uh, about, about his role in this and kind of what the way this team is playing is, is doing uh, or not doing uh, for him and what's really a pivotal season. So I wanted to make sure that we hit it early, but I mean, you know, Ken Palm has updated. I use now 10th in adjusted deficiency in the nation. Like that should be good enough to put yourself in, in position to win some of these games, but the offense is down to 56th yeah. and just really, really struggling against an Illinois team that I, you know, to me was not all that great defensively. They gave up 81 points to Penn state uh, the other day and, uh, you know, gave up 91 and a loss to Rutgers. So it wasn't yeah. a, a team that was impenetrable defensively. And, and I use eking out 60 points um, with this scenario. And I think, and the other thing, and I mentioned this after the show the other night, what, what becomes equally frustrating is some of the, the roster related stuff, because you get into this where Joey Brunk is out again. He's a guy that you could have used in a game like this to give another big body, especially with, with trace and foul trouble, but you have two open scholarships that you opt not to fill really putting you in a position where that means multiple freshmen have to be able to come in and play rotational minutes. And you saw in the first half, if if you want to make an argument for why Christian Lander shouldn't play more or why Anthony Leo shouldn't play more, you can watch their play in that short stretch of and defensively they they both struggled. I think there was a play that I think Leo wasn't in the right spot. At least it seemed that way from what I um, you know, had interpreted and things like that. Now the challenge is that you have haven't had the chance to get those guys minutes. And this is not the place on the road at Illinois where you need to do that, but you've put yourself in a roster position where you have to do that because you don't have any choice. You have to turn down to the bench and say, Jordan Geronimo, go in and guard Kofi Coburn for a few possessions to see what we can what we can steal. And I think that's the other challenge is that it, it just the roster seems much thinner and it felt like you were betting on guys being able to come in and produce early that I'm not sure that was a fair expectation of, but here we are. Well, I and I just think, you know, you can look at Illinois and, and you look at DeSumo, who's awesome. Coburn's a sophomore. You know, the only other player that's a senior that Illinois is relying on for for minutes is Trent Frazier, but Curbelo is a freshman. Adam Miller is a freshman. You know, Bajanis Vili is a junior, but he hasn't played that many minutes. I mean, the the idea, like it's, you're right. This is, I think, among the most frustrating things is here it is in year four. And I, I've been very patient with the roster development with Miller. I've been very patient with, you know, even, even giving, I think, way too much uh, of the boundary on guys that Miller had on the roster that he didn't recruit, even though they came in as freshmen his first year. But at the end of the day, the pieces aren't working particularly well together. And the fact that you have to start Trey Galloway to try to light a fire under your junior point guard, who has, you know, essentially when he's been healthy, started every game that he's played so far this year. The idea that you're having to rely on Armand Franklin as a sophomore to come in and essentially be the playmaker. And in many cases, the primary ball handler, when you've got a guy who's been on the roster for three plus years, 
you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, uh, you know, unduly criticize Al or, or Rob or any of the other members of the team, but it's just like so many players seem to have trouble performing on a regular basis. And I, it's not even that it's a COVID thing. This is certainly a weird year. Everybody's in the same boat. So, you know, I, I it's like, you, you don't want to criticize people for being in what's obviously difficult situations, but Illinois is in the same situation. Northwestern's in the same situation. Everybody's in this same situation. So if you're going to judge people apples to apples, it's just really puzzling that there are so few consistent contributors on this roster after this amount of time. It is very troubling because you look at the roster and there's not a lot of obvious quick fixes. Uh, and then you're looking at potentially your best player you know, leaving for the pros at the end of the year. That's got to be in the back of your mind as well. Yeah, uh, well, that was a that was a real uh, high note to to take that on, but and and maybe a little bit too macro and not a, not a view of the game. So we'll take a break and we'll kind of reel it back in a little bit to the uh, to the game itself. And so when we come back, we'll continue the breakdown of IU's sixty nine to sixty loss at Illinois. We'll point out the meaningful moment you might have missed, and then we go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. If you're listening to the assembly call. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. This is Verdell Jones. What's better than an epic buzzer beater? The full court dribble and perfectly placed pass to set it all up. And of course, celebrating with Hoosier Nation afterwards. So join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. All right. Thank you, Verdell. If you're listening to the assembly call IU postgame show, I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio, and we are breaking down IU 69-60 loss at Illinois. Uh, Verdell's comment about the perfectly placed pass reminded me of a potentially low moment during today's coverage where I agreed with something that Stephen Bardo said about what a good pass Trey Galloway made to get it right in the shooting pocket of Armand Franklin. So uh, immediately wanted to go hit my head against something after that happened. But, you know, what are you, you going to do? Um, so as we look at you know meaningful moments that you might have missed, uh, I'll use this to highlight a, a couple guys. So let's talk, we'll use this to talk about Rob because he did have a really good stretch at the beginning of the second half. Uh, one of the plays, he had a block on Curbelo. Uh, that led to a Trace Jackson Davis fast break. Al was Al got down. Uh, Trace missed the shot, but Al was able to get the putback thanks to a goaltend and uh, gave IU the lead, thirty six to thirty five, which was the first lead they'd had in a little bit before that. And then Rob had a couple nice buckets. Uh, Galen, you touched on this before, I believe, in uh, two out of three possessions. He had a, a really nice uh, finish inside and another drive uh, after that. And even AJ Guyton on on Twitter was like, "Where has this been? Just go." Um, and and so. It's interesting because you know Rob led to the 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 insertion of Trey Galloway into the starting lineup, and and you touched on this before. As you watch him play, and you see a stretch like that where he was really engaged on both ends, was aggressive, took the ball toward the basket. I I, I just 
I struggle with that versus other possessions where there's one he dribbles around, never passes the ball. I think it was toward the end of the first half and took a you know 17-foot jump shot without really looking to get the ball to anybody. It just is weird to figure out you know, what's going on with him. So what do you, you know, have any, any thoughts here as, as how you attribute a guy being so aggressive in a really short stretch, being successful in doing so, but that not really being what they're doing the majority of the time that they're on the court. I mean, it, it could be as simple as just overthinking on these possessions. You know, the, the two possessions you're referring to, it felt very natural and in the flow of the moment. And, you know, when I watch Rob Finnessy on possessions where that isn't happening, it feels like he's overthinking everything. Like the passes that would normally be made, I think by most point guards, uh, are just not being made. He, he's waiting too long. And then the pass at lane is gone and you got to start over again. Even just as simple as walking the ball up the floor. Uh, it's 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 just a constant, not just at the end of the game where we notice it and it's frustrating, but all throughout the game. And to some degree, yes. That is the way that Archie Miller seems to want his team to play offense. He talked in the post game after Northwestern about wanting to slow the tempo down. But I think for Rob, the more time he gets to think about what he's going to do, the more paralyzed he becomes by over analysis. And it's it doesn't help that he's not hitting open shots. I mean, you mentioned that wide open three in late in the second half that he missed. That's essentially what you expect now when Rob Finnessy gets the ball open out side the three-point line, you know, that he's, he's going to rim the shot out or that it's going to miss somehow. Uh, I don't remember the last time that I saw him hit one of those in a moment where it mattered and where it came naturally within the flow of the offense. And it's got to be a real issue for him from a psychological perspective. If you don't feel like you're going to hit, you're not going to hit. You know, it's it's like being a golfer that doesn't think they can hit a putt. It, it, you're you're going to psych yourself out of it after a while. But for Rob, it feels like it affects – his entire offensive game. And it's just unfortunate, but that's something you got to work your way out of, I think, individually. I don't think that's something that somebody else can do to, there's not, not, not something anybody else can do to work you out of that for you. Yeah. Another moment that I had, there were multiple times in the game and I, Illinois took advantage of this matchup as well. When, when race was guarding DeMonte Williams and there was a stretch where they kind of went back and forth and uh, Williams hit a three where race was a bit slow to get out on him IU got the ball to race in the post uh, and was able to you know get him a basket. He had a couple a uh, couple decent post moves in there, but I thought there were other times again for a team that is so geared at getting the ball inside, albeit usually to Trace Jackson Davis, that there are times that the guards really failed to recognize mismatches with race uh, because Illinois, in large part, didn't play another big with Kofi Coburn. I mean, they really relied on Demonte Williams and uh, I think Grandin maybe was the other guy that they played and and just felt like there were times when they actively turned away from looking at race in those scenarios. So uh, I guess I'll use that as a, a segue to talk one, a little bit about race who I thought played okay, had a decent steal early in the game that led to a, uh, led to an Armand Franklin layup, but ended up, you know, taking just five shots. One of those was a three uh, ended up with four points, five rebounds. Um, as you start to look for things offensively that might, get IU going. Is that a source that they can go to is trying to take advantage of some of these mismatches. He had similar success against Northwestern uh, at doing some of those things when smaller guys were on him. Is that a potential avenue that, that you think this team could go or is it already too uh, interior centric to, to try to do something else like that? I mean, I think first of all, I think we need to acknowledge what a tremendous leap forward race Thompson has made this year from last year. He's more than doubled the minutes that he's played 
um, he's, you know, his, his shooting percentage has gone way up. Like his, you know, last year, his effective field goal percentage was 48%. This year it's 60%. Uh, he's, he's getting, uh, you know, a higher overall, uh, you know, percentage of blocks than he did last year. He's getting to the free throw line significantly more. Like he's really contributing a lot, but this is not a guy that is a second or third offensive option. Like this is a guy who cleans up after Trace Jackson Davis, or he's there because there's a double team somewhere else and he's open and he can make you pay. You know, that's, I'm not trying to denigrate what he is, but if you're relying on a guy who's your fourth or fifth offensive option as a primary source of offense, particularly when your number one offensive option is sitting on the opposite block, I think that demonstrates you've got much bigger issues. I mean, this, in this day and age, it's really hard to get away with having two post players who, don't have a lot of outside shooting ability as your primary offensive options. And you don't want, you don't want to do that. Like you want to have your guards doing what they need to do. You want to have your swing men slashing and, and hitting jump shots or, or being open and knocking down threes. You know, that honestly, that's where Jerome Hunter should be doing these things. And, and Jerome Hunter has these little spurts where you're like, Oh, look, he's, he's going to hit shots and he's going to really contribute. And then he goes into these long uh, situations where he can't hit anything. And, and so I just don't see Race Thompson as being the guy to do that. That said, I don't think Race Thompson's ever going to take a huge amount off the table in terms of what he provides you offensively, because ideally it's it's a limited amount of things that he's having to provide you in the first place. Yeah, the other other moment I wanted to hit, and then happy to throw it to you if there are any, but I mentioned this a little bit earlier. The game got off. IU was up 5-1 to one at the first media timeout. It was fairly ugly uh, both ways, but IU had at least – scored on you know no no one scored early but IU had scored on three straight possessions and I believe that's around when they you know took the media timeout Archie subbed out uh, a couple guys he put uh Hunter and uh and Finnessy I think were the first two guys off the bench or maybe that was when Leo came in but things really sputtered there I mean IU scored on a couple possessions but one was a Trey Galloway drive at the end of the at the end of the shot clock that really was not by design of any kind. It was just a possession that seemed like it was going nowhere that got bailed out. And then similarly, Jerome Hunter hit a baseline jumper where he was, um, you know, guy was really overplaying him. He, he went in, took a, you know, decent shot and made it. But otherwise, you know, the sequence after that was just a lot of, you know, race misses a three tra- and then trace misses inside on the in subsequent, uh, offensive rebound possession, uh, trace with a turnover. Al misses a three, Rob turns it over. Lander misses a three. You just had a really rough stretch there, and I think you mentioned Jerome Hunter at that, but I'm going to use this to just kind of talk about the play of the bench overall. As you mentioned, you know you got four made shots from the bench. Two of those were from Fantasy, uh, who had you know who had been starting. One of those was a three from Jordan Geronimo, which was a nice shot, but completely unexpected. But you get nine points, four rebounds out of the bench, and uh, just generally seems like when this team goes away from even a lineup that is working moderately well, it, it things really go south in a hurry because you don't have enough consistent contributors off the bench. So I, I guess, again, I'm, I'm not going to keep asking you thoughts on how to fix some of these things because I don't know that any of us really know the answer to that. But to what do you attribute the drop-off that it seems like there is and and the lack of production on the bench? Is it just a function of of youth because so many of the young guys are coming off the bench or uh, is that not, not fair to put it all on that? No, no, no. I mean, a lot of it has to do with youth. And I think a lot of it is 
the difficulty that young players have in playing this particular defensive system. I mean, people have been clamoring for Christian Lander to get more minutes, and I understand why, because he's a, an exciting-looking player who looks like he's pretty dynamic on offense. He, I mean, he has, still can't shoot right now. I mean, I'm sure he will at some point, but his, his shooting ability is, is really questionable at this stage because he's really trying to adapt to the game. But uh, defensively, he's he's a calamity right now. And the whole thing falls apart for IU if they don't have at least four really solid defenders out there at all times. And, you know, the problem people have been saying, hey, put Geronimo in or put Lander in or put Leal in. What what do you have to lose? And the problem is this is the wrong defensive system to do that in. I mean, and you saw this in the first couple of years that Archie Miller was at IU. This is a defensive system that when it works really well and when everybody's on the same page can be incredibly difficult to play against. But when, you know, when I think where all of this has fallen apart for IU is the idea that they didn't expect to need freshmen coming off the bench to be playing major minutes because their upperclassmen weren't contributing offensively. And that has just essentially caused the machinery to stop working properly because you do see these big defensive lapses uh, you know, when you can't play Rob Finnessy for large stretches or when Al Durham has to sit or or whatever. And that's a real problem. And I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, there, this, there was a lot of people discussing this on Twitter after the Northwestern game. And ultimately, if you're Archie Miller at this point, you you have to hope and, and try to figure out a way to get Rob Finnessy and Al Durham uh, to play better and, and to get Jerome Hunter to come in and be more consistent of a contributor on both ends of the floor because the freshmen just aren't ready right now from a defensive perspective. And yeah, it's easy to say, well, just, you know, you shouldn't have a system that's that complicated. Maybe that's the case, uh, but that's the situation that Indiana's in right now. So, you know, you can't just say, well, let's junk the defensive system and start over. Um, you know, you, you might be able to do that in an off season, not that they would, but you're not in a position to do that now. Yeah, I think the, you know, I mentioned this before too. I mean, Lander is is biting on any kind of ball fake, shot fake, whatever, and getting himself in in difficult positions uh, defensively. Although I did think it was interesting that Archie put him in for the last minute or so, kind of the end of half scenario, but then didn't play him in the second half. I think Leal had similar struggles uh, on the defensive end. And all these guys at this point have a bullseye on them where people are just going to drive them. And quite frankly, they're at a point where they're just going to have, he's going to need to pick a couple of them and say, Hey, we're just going to work through this. And you may have to pick a couple and say, Hey, I'm not willing to work through this with you. And I think that's where the challenge, and we've gotten into some debates on these last few shows about how do you play Lander more? Because there, it feels like the upside makes it justifiable to say, I'm going to live with this and hope, hope that I can teach him through film, through whatever, what he's doing wrong, because the upside, if he can start to play well, given how the other guards, not named Armand Franklin have really played for this team. He's the one that can really push you closer to the ceiling of what the team can be. And so that's where, you know, this, again, you can look at that either way. If you're on the side of, Hey, he's not playing defense well enough to play. You can watch him play in the first half and say, yep, I was right. And if you're of the opinion that they need dynamic players in the game and they have to let him work through it, you could make that argument as well for a team that scored 60 points and continues to struggle on offense. I mean, it, you know, the offensive thing is it's just so irritating because 
so much of it, like that you look at the players that are doing well for IU on offense, which is really at this point, just trace Jackson Davis and Armand Franklin. I was going to say, that's a short, that's a short discussion. Uh, And you'll occasionally, there'll occasionally be games where other players will chip in and and they'll have a good game. It's not like none of the other players have have done that so far this season, but um, the, the players that are, playing well offensively are taking the initiative they're they're being aggressive with the ball they're being aggressive moving to the the hoop with or without the basketball there there's a real attack mentality among those players and what you're not seeing is that attack mentality out of you know some of the the regulars that are out there you're seeing it out out of armand franklin and people have been like wow he's been a revelation armand franklin looks like he wants the ball armand franklin looks like he wants to score Trace Jackson Davis wants the ball, and yes, he had trouble today, but he looks like he wants to score. Even Race Thompson, even though he's not, like I said, a primary offensive option, doesn't look afraid to shoot the ball, and yet there's so many other players on this team that really seem to be struggling in that category. And and then, you know, the guy like Lander, who you mentioned, I think he has no problem shooting, but he, he can't hit right now, and I'm sure that'll come around eventually, but it's hard to keep a guy like that on the floor when he can't contribute offensively or defensively. And I think that that's something that, again, it's, it's hard to work out as you move forward because it essentially means, you know, you're down to like hoping that three guys, whoever those three guys are, nor at this point, it's Armand trace and a random third person are going to be able to carry you against teams that in a lot of cases, I've got four or five people that are firing and hitting on all cylinders. That's, that's not a great recipe for success as far as what this team's hoping to do in the big 10. No, no, it is not. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's, uh, let's go inside the numbers. This could be, this could be a fun <laughs> do, place do to we go. Have to? <laughs> well, let's start it on a positive note because in lost amidst this, and we've, we've alluded to him a, a, a couple times, but Armand Franklin does score a career high 23, uh, eight of 12 from the field, five of six from three, uh, only two of four from the free throw line, but had a couple rebounds, didn't have any assists and had three turnovers. And I think some of that did have a couple steals though. I think the turnovers come from what you said, he's being aggressive. And sometimes you're going to have to live with that. Even in total, I, you only had, had eight turnovers, but Armand was, you know, he, he kept by you in the game. He hit some big threes at key moments coming off of screens and just really, uh, somebody must've told him they were at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. I'm not really sure whatever yeah. uh, they did to do that. It certainly worked, but uh, just just talk a little bit about you know what you saw from him today because he was uh, undoubtedly the bright spot of this performance uh, on the road. He gets the ball and in almost every situation looks like he knows what he wants to do even before the ball gets in his hands. Whether that is catch and shoot, whether that is drive and shoot, and it shows in the I think especially his three point percentage. He is hitting. 30 or excuse me, 50% from three for the season so far, 19 to 38 from beyond the arc. And I think so much of it seems to come down to confidence. It's funny. You mentioned his turnovers overall on the season. His turnover rate is actually better this year than it was last year. The difference was last year. This was a guy that had no confidence on the floor. Like he really struggled pretty much every time he came in to the point that I think many people were wondering, like, why did they recruit Armand Franklin? Uh, you know, and this year he's he's essentially left no doubt. I mean, from that Stanford game on, he has been a key cog in what Indiana's done offensively. And I think he was clearly Indiana's best player today offensively. There were so many possessions where it looked like Indiana wasn't 
really sure what they wanted to do. And then Armand Franklin got the ball and did something. And, you know, it's just he's going to have that role the rest of the season because no one else on the perimeter seems to want it. I, it's uh, it seemed like, you know, he was bringing the ball up on, on several occasions. I don't know if I was imagining that he obviously had the one really unfortunate turnover where he, he kicked the ball all the way into the, the front court and, and Illinois picked it up and went back and got a, a layup. But, you know, he was initiating the offense. He was moving really well without the ball. He was taking initiative. And I think if Indiana is going to figure out a way to right the ship, he's going to have to be the key on this doesn't mean Trace Jackson Davis isn't going to score a lot of points, but it is so much easier to use your defense to put an umbrella over the top of Trace Jackson Davis, especially since we don't seem to be able to make uh, over-the-top passes into the post to get Trace Jackson Davis the ball. Armand Franklin, with this type of offensive performance, that's what helps to open things up and get the ball to Trace Jackson Davis in space so that he can do something. And so uh, I, I really thought he played an excellent game. I thought that in a really tough place to play uh, under normal circumstances, he made it look pretty easy. And I felt like he got let down by his backcourt mates essentially throughout most of the game. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's fair. I mean, he really was carrying everything. And other than that initial stretch of the second half where, where Al and Rob got going, I mean, he was uh, the backcourt production for, for the majority of the game. Uh, as, as we look at other numbers, the shooting stats uh, jump off the page as being incredibly ugly. Uh, IU, well, from a three-point perspective, not not bad, uh, was 7 of 18 from three, 38.9%. But that leaves them at just 16 of 40 on two-point shots. And in the second half, they were 8 of 20 uh, on twos. So basically, we're 8 of 20 on twos in, in both halves, if my quick math is uh, is correct there. So didn't shoot the ball well from inside the arc. Um Trace missed a lot around the around the basket, um, but again, I felt like most of those were kind of falling away or, or leaning uh, to to really awkward angles uh, from that perspective. Uh, IU got out rebounded forty to twenty eight. Kofi Coburn had fifteen rebounds uh, overall in the game. Um, didn't give up a ton of second chance points. Really, only gave up eight second chance points uh, on eight offensive rebounds. So that wasn't a, a huge issue. Points in the paint were about even. Uh, fast break points that were very few to be had for either team. Um, and I only turned the ball over uh, eight times, but just had nine assists. So nine assists on, on 23 made field goals speaks a little bit to the, you know, one-on-one nature of what they needed to do in order to score. Weren't getting a lot out of the, uh, out of the natural flow of the offense uh, there. Galen, any, uh, any stats jump out to you as you uh, look at the box score? Well, that eight turnover, number is a really interesting one because I know that's been something that Archie Miller has really been emphasizing, like limit turnovers. And normally that's a good idea because, you know, you turn the ball over, you're not scoring on that possession. And Indiana certainly has had some games where the turnovers have been um, unquestionably beyond what they needed to be. But the downside is, again, I think when we talk about this team being tentative in the way that they play the game, if you're playing, trying to avoid making mistakes, you can oftentimes do more harm because ultimately if you really want to get down to efficiency numbers, a possession where you don't score and a possession where you turn the ball over are pretty much the same. And, you know, I think for Archie Miller, a lot of it comes down to this idea that, well, if we miss a shot, we can get back on defense. Whereas if we turn the ball over, we might put ourselves in a bad position. And yet there were several missed shots in this game where Illinois just ran right down the floor and was able to take advantage of, of, problems with Indiana on defense anyway. So I don't think you're gaining a whole lot 
by overemphasizing the lack of turnovers. Um, you know, it is nice to see them only turn the ball over on 12% of possessions. That is, that is a big, uh, you know, improvement over what we've seen in some previous games. Uh, you know, I think when I look at the, the shooting numbers, you know, the, most of the, I think the big numbers for me are Jerome Hunter going one for five. And if you, if you think back to the number of shots that he missed from essentially point blank range, it was like two or three, those were big shots. Those were shots that came at moments where the game was relatively close and Indiana could have really used the points. Um, you know, the, the same thing happened with Trace Jackson Davis early on in the game. You know, you mentioned how stodgy of a start it was. It was still nine, nine, I think with like 10 and a half minutes left in the first half. And it felt like Trace Jackson Davis had missed, I think, five shots uh, during that time period. And, you know, the, there was that period where it was still in single digits, but Indiana had like a four or five point lead. And it's like, oh, those would have been really nice baskets to have because, you know, every little bit counts if you can get the other team on their back heels because they feel like, okay, well, Indiana is actually hitting and we're not. What are we going to do? That's where I think you gain a bit of an advantage in the way that that you're matching up against the other team psychologically. And it, they just never provided themselves those options in either case. And so uh, the other one that I think, again, you know, you look at Al Durham and Rob Finnessy, a combined one for seven from three. And if you want to throw Christian Lander in there, that's one for eight from three out of uh, three of your guards. Yeah. Armand Franklin was five for six and that's great. But I mean, you know, Al Durham and Rob Finnessy have just, they have to start hitting those shots. I mean, Al, Al Durham in particular, I I just I'm baffled at how his shot from outside has disappeared. Last year, this was a 38% three-point shooter. This year, he's shooting 26% from three. And it's not for lack of, of attempts. He's he's taken 31 attempts from three. He's he's only hit eight of them so far this season. So um, you know, hopefully the law of averages moves that number back up some, but it's an inauspicious start for a guy that really has to knock those down. If Indiana is going to have a chance at winning games like this uh, in the big 10. Yeah. If you take Armand Franklin out, I referenced the three point shooting as a, as a positive number. If you take Armand Franklin out, the rest of the team was two out of 12. Uh, and, and most of those are coming from backcourt guys uh, with really the exception of Jordan Geronimo who hit one and, and race Thompson who missed one. Uh, but everybody else you'd really consider to be a perimeter player. So ended up with, with that kind of shooting is, uh, is rough uh, for sure. But uh, it, you know, IU did have, they had uh, six steals, four blocks. I thought Trace had some, some really nice blocks on, uh, on Kofi Coburn. So I thought he acquitted himself fairly well at that end of the floor, but just was not able to, to do enough. And on the Illinois side, uh, I know coach is in here and he's a big IO to fan as the, uh, as the closer, uh, he lived up to every bit of that. He ended up with 30 on 11 of 17 shooting and, and, and you're not going to be happy to give him 30 points, but ever, you know, the, the rest of the team for Illinois scored 39 and ended up and again, trying to do quick math here, 13 of 37 from the floor, um, of other guys. So I really thought even amidst that, the defensive effort was, uh, was still pretty solid. Uh, Illinois shot well from the free throw line, got a couple extra free throws on the technical from uh, from Archie Miller, but really held people in check in general. Even Coburn was just 6 of 12 from the field, given that uh, every one of his shots comes from uh, inside of four feet of the basket, holding holding him to 50%. Like The defensive effort, again, I feel like we've said this after – Really, not the Northwestern loss, but the other, you know, even the Texas loss, the defensive effort was good enough to win. To hold Illinois to 69 points in their own building, 
you should you're putting yourself in a position to have a chance to win, and yet you lose the game by nearly double digits. Yeah. I, look, this is we're in the wrong era of basketball. It feels like for the defensive effort to be the thing that you're going to primarily hang your hat on. If you look at the games that Illinois has lost so far this season, uh, Baylor beat them. Baylor averaged 1.2 points per possession in that game. Missouri beat them. Missouri averaged 1.07 points per possession in that game. Rutgers beat them. Rutgers averaged a point and a quarter per possession. And you know, ultimately, Indiana's just they've, – they've shown themselves essentially incapable of scoring a point per possession against quality competition. You know, when you, when you score 0.91 points per possession in this game, it, it just creates – an undue amount of pressure on your defense to hold a team that has a guy capable of scoring 30 points in a game. And he's done it multiple times this season. Uh, you, you, what are you going to hold that guy to what? 20 points. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to do that. And it happened in the Florida state game too. Florida state, not a great offensive team. And the teams that are going to beat them this year, are the teams that are going to be able to score on them, Indiana couldn't. And that just, that's been the MO of Indiana under the Archie Miller era where against good competition, they just can't put enough points on the board. And it's it's the exact opposite of what happened in the Tom Crean era, where you just couldn't keep teams from, from putting points on the board against you, even though you could score yourself. Frustrating to swing from one extreme to the other, but here we are. All right, well, coming up on the assembly call, we'll hand out our game ball, which should be pretty easy, and hit any other lingering storylines, and then we'll look ahead to Indiana's next opponent, and then it'll be time for last call. That's all next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. This is Tim Priller, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. All right, you're listening to The Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 7,000 of your fellow IU fans have already subscribed. You can also text IU to 66866 to subscribe to the newsletter. Again, that's IU to 66866. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast, and we are breaking down Indiana's 69-60 loss at Illinois. And it's time now for game balls. Uh, this will be usually this is easy because uh, you just figure out that it's Trace, and then you kind of move on. I think this uh, this game is equally easy, but it's, it's not Trace to do it. So, Galen, I'll let you uh, I'll let you go first with the uh, the obvious answer here. Thanks. This is an un, <laughs> unexpected level of hospitality. I appreciate it. Yeah, Trace. Or, uh, no, it's it's Armand Franklin. Uh, just just a, a great performance. The kind of performance that I think anybody can be proud of. And for a sophomore that certainly struggled in uh, most of the games last year, to go into 
State Farm Center or whatever the heck they're calling their building these days and put 23 points up on the board and you know, really duel DeSumo kind of even for most of the contest until the very end is a big accomplishment. So yeah, hats off to Armand Franklin on what was, uh, you know, the type of performance Indiana needed and which he was able to essentially provide throughout the course of his whole time on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's Armand is the the clear choice. And I just looking back to put a few, uh, few stats to this other than ones from today's game, obviously, but you mentioned, you know, starting with that Stanford game is really where he's, uh, he's taken off. So he had 13 points in that game, nine against Florida state. So a, a bit of a dip there, but even so nine points, uh, solid effort there. Then 19 against North Alabama, 20 against Butler, 16 against Northwestern and 23 against Illinois. So, you know, that's uh, at least 16 points in the last four and at least 13 and five of, of the last six. And he's a guy, as you look at the efficiency numbers is using uh, a lot, you know, using 22% of possessions for IU this year. Uh, and, and his offensive rating has gone up with significantly higher usage. It's gone up from an 89 a year ago to 103 uh, right now, as he stands, as you mentioned, he's, 19 of 38, 50% from three-point range, actually shooting slightly better uh, from three-point range than two-point range. He's 25 of 52 on twos, but um, just really doing a solid job and and a guy who continues to be a bright spot in an otherwise uh, not great beginning uh, to, the, to the conference season uh, for sure. Uh, so we also had, uh, in, in Coach's Honor, in- instituted this Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award. I, I don't know if there's an ability to... I don't know if there's an obligation. Perhaps that's a better way to say it to uh, to hand out uh, to hand this one out. But I don't know if you have any. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on 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 who might be the uh, recipient of this. But I'm I'm struggling. I'll give you that. I mean, I guess I, I guess if we're going pure hustle, I guess I'll give it to Trey Galloway. I mean, played 32 minutes and you know was was certainly an irritant out there. Was smart with the basketball. Uh, you know, didn't try to do too much, drew some defenders on some drives as he is wont to do. And, you know, was, it didn't really take anything off the table. I felt in, in this game was, was tied for second on the team and in rebounding, which is, uh, is kind of hard to believe. I guess technically he was tied for third. I I missed that offensive rebound by race Thompson, but if I had to give it to someone, I guess I'd give it to him. Yeah, I was I was leaning the same way. Uh, had a couple assists as well. No turnovers for him, which has been uh, an issue and was an issue in the Northwestern game uh, for him. But I thought he didn't. A couple of the threes that he took, I, I don't know that those are. He hit a couple against Northwestern from the corner. Uh, one I know was a, a late shot clock possession uh, down the stretch, and uh, the other I don't I don't know is probably probably not the shot that you want. But in general, I thought he uh, you know acquitted himself well and. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go with you and give that one to Trey. Cause I, I don't think there were a lot of other, uh, other clear contenders for, for that one as we look through. Um, so Galen, as we, as we come close to wrapping up here, anything else that we didn't hit or players that we didn't, uh, we didn't touch on that you'd like to, uh, make sure we, we talk about before we wrap things up. I mean, Jordan Geronimo, uh, you know, thank you for just, having no conscience whatsoever and shooting that corner three and, and Hey, it went in and maybe, maybe I, you should be doing more of that, but uh, now, you know, look, I think here's the one thing I'll say. We've been critical of some players. We've been critical of the coaches. Um, you know, nothing is unfixable in this season. And, you know, we may be looking back on this game down the road and saying, well, okay, they lost at, a top 10 Ken Palm, top 10 Illinois team, no big deal. A bunch of teams did that throughout the course of the year. That is, it's an Illinois team that won at Duke. 
Uh, it's an Illinois team that is, I think, going to make a lot of people's lives miserable as we go through the season. Uh, I think the manner in which IU lost the game was certainly frustrating. I was certainly frustrated by it. Uh, they've got an opportunity here to right the ship, and uh, you know the season's not over by any means. And I think you know players and coaches have got to figure out a way to get better at what they're doing. And um, and they they still have a chance to get themselves right back into the thick of things. They've got, I think, you know, the, there's five games coming up here, four of which I think are very winnable. And they need to be won. Like at this point, you know, they, they they kind of burned their margin of error with that home loss to Northwestern. I don't care how good Northwestern ends up being. You just can't lose that game, given the gauntlet that this Big Ten presents for everybody in it. And so that's, I guess, my big take-home point from all of this is that um, the we don't know how the season is going to play out. And there's a lot of season left to be played. I, it, Indiana just needs to play better, and they we know they've got the capacity to do it. Uh, just there's no more moral victories at this point. You just got to win games, and there if you can get the effort out there for 40 solid minutes, then that's going to fix that. That'll fix it, and and then people will stop complaining. Um, that will be, I think, um, it'll be different from what we've seen so far out of this IU team over the last couple of years, and I guess that's the scary part. And we're going to learn a lot about where they're at individually and collectively between now and, and the middle of January. Yep. So as we look ahead to IE's next opponent, they play on Wednesday, December 30th, uh, home game against Penn State. This definitely falls in the uh, you need to win this game category, similar to the Northwestern game. Penn State comes in three and three. Uh, they do not play this weekend. Their last game was uh, against Illinois on, on Wednesday, and they'll have a week uh, essentially to prepare for IU. They're 0-2 in the league, lost at Michigan by 4, and at home to Illinois by 17. Uh, other, otherwise, they are uh, you know have, have got a, picked up a big win at Virginia Tech, lost at home to Seton Hall in overtime, and, and beat VCU at home. So kind of a mixed bag uh, results-wise for Penn State. Uh, this is the first uh, their first go around with uh, Jim Ferry as the as I believe the interim coach with Pat Chambers gone. They've got four guys in double figures in the post Lamar Stevens era, uh, led by Isaiah Brockington, who's averaging 15 points a game. Myron Jones at a little bit over 13. Seth Lundy with 13 as well. So uh, a few different guys to to kind of keep an eye on as you uh, look down their roster. Pretty guard oriented, at least from a scoring perspective. So uh, be interesting to see if if Trace is able to get going. Uh, inside and and be able to find a little bit more room to operate there. Uh, But again, I think, as you mentioned, Galen, as as you look at this as an opportunity to right the ship and maybe build a little momentum, it has to start with this game because uh, while some of the the subsequent games are also winnable, I think starting 0-3 and uh, feeling things start to spin a little bit would uh, would not be the recipe for for ongoing success. So these next two home games against Penn State and then against Maryland uh, are ones that IU really needs to get to right the ship before they go to uh, to Wisconsin uh, for what will be a really tough game. And Wisconsin looks like the potentially the class of the Big Ten certainly um, at the the top of that conversation. All right. Yeah. The uh, one. Go the, ahead. Yeah, sorry that I, I agree with all that. Yeah. All right. You're no, you're good. Uh, all right. So you're listening to the assembly call. IU post game show. Remember to check out our friends at home field apparel to get the perfect gift for the college sports fan in your life. Use the promo code assembly 20 at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. All right. It's time for last call. So, uh, Galen final thoughts on this 69, 60 loss at Illinois. Disappointing. Uh, you know, 
both in the, that it happened and the way that it happened. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing. If Indiana had come out and lost by 20, I think to some degree we would have been like, well, that sucked, but we all expected that to happen given the relative strengths of the two teams. But that's not what happened. Indiana was in the game with 10 minutes left. They were up by five and looked like they had a really good shot at coming away with a big victory on the road. Instead, they lost by nine. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing about this team is that you can visualize the wins happening given what's on the floor, and then it just never comes to be. And you know, until it starts to come to be, I think there's going to be a lot of heat on this team uh, for you know to figure out how to make that happen. And hopefully, they figure it out. I know that um, it's not going to get any easier in this conference. And uh, this is this is maybe the most unrelenting Big Ten schedule that ever has been played. And everybody's going through the same thing. Um, for an Indiana team that's been trying to build towards something as a program for a couple of years, this is really where you have to see some results finally, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, as I, I look back on this game, there was it was not a game that I entered into with high hopes of, of IU coming out with a victory, and they played well enough in spurts to be in the game, but ultimately the same kinds of offensive lulls and decision-making and 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 breakdown breakdowns that kind of come in waves on the defensive end that they just don't have the offense to overcome to the you know points we made before where people who have beaten Illinois have had to find ways to actually be efficient offensively in order to do it. And I think IU did a better job on defense than many of those teams that have played Illinois so far, but uh, were so much worse on offense that it, uh, that it really struggled. And it, you know, you had guard play outside of Armand Franklin that really showed up for a stretch at the beginning of a half, but uh, in large part, the rest of the game wasn't there in a game that Trace Jackson Davis really struggled. The guy that they've really relied upon game to game this season struggled with the the physicality of, of Kofi Coburn. And um, you're not going to have many days that he shoots that poorly, but I think some of his shooting was a function of, uh, of the defender. So uh, while you certainly don't rec- you don't expect him to, to have those kinds of days, um, you can you can kind of see why, and so this really puts uh, IU at a little bit of a crossroads as they they go through these next couple games. I mean, they they really, if they want to right the ship on this season, it has to start with these next two games, and those to me are are must win is probably too strong uh, for this point in the season in late December. Uh, but if they don't win those games, I think things could really spiral here, and and it's you're right. There are the pieces there to do it because they play are able to play well in spurts. You've seen this jump from Armand Franklin that has just been fantastic to watch, but it feels like others have regressed around them to the point where, like you said, you have Armand, you have trace, and then a third guy may step up in any given game, but it just, nothing seems sustainable offensively uh, with the team based on, based on how, how guys are playing. And in year four, that's a frustrating place to be and fans are frustrated. And I think it's, it's reasonable to, to have some of that. And there's reasons that if you want to be optimistic, you can point to, Hey, they shouldn't have won this game. Anyway, they played well in spurts against a really good team. For me at this point, I just need to see that be the, the more of the norm than the exception. Um, Because right now it feels like the exception, particularly on the offensive end, and as you said, Galen, in college basketball today, there are very few teams that are built around playing really good defense and adequate offense that are really 
going to find themselves at the, you know, anywhere near the top of the college basketball world. And that's really where IU finds itself right now. They've got a, a really, really strong defense and they can't get out of their own way uh, on offense uh, more often than not. So a frustrating, a frustrating loss. And it leads to two really big games uh, coming up at home, uh, which normally you would say, well, at least they're going to be home in front of the crowd that can help propel them. And that is not, uh, not something that's going to happen this year. So we'll see uh, how the team's able to respond with a few days off and they'll get back at it on Wednesday uh, against Penn state. All right. Well, that'll do it for this, for us on this edition of the assembly call IU post game show. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to longtime listener Bob Thompson, who produced much of the music you hear on the show. And thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you on Wednesday after the Penn State game. And until then, take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All righty. Galen, I appreciate you uh, hopping on for, for this one. feel that we probably owe you and Chris after Chris had to get getting the opportunity to come on after that Northwestern game. Uh, some kind of trap that we've invited you all into here, apparently, to talk about what happened. In I don't know games. what's worse, like burning a Saturday evening or, or having to go on at 1030 at night after losing the Northwestern. But uh, I, I, I can tell you it was going on after the Northwestern game. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Fair enough. I can't say for, I can't say for sure. I don't know, you know, but uh for me that was for me that was worth. I feel like I've still got dinner and the night in front of me now yeah. versus needing to uh to unwind a little bit after having talked about that game for over an hour. So, you know. Well, that's my thoughts well, at least. But anyway, I appreciate you. I appreciate you yeah. joining me. Thanks for having me on. Good uh, good to see you as always and uh we'll talk to you soon, I guess. Yeah, you guys got uh any any bowl preview content planned for Actually, uh, I t- I, I just released something about three hours ago. I taped something as Osterman was driving over. Um, Cause as you know, that drive from Bloomington to Champaign is, is one of the worst in the conference. <laughs> so we did a good 35 minutes and kind of previewed that. And then I did something with Courtney Robb, who's uh, one of the reporters uh, for the TV station in Columbus, Mississippi. So both of those are up on the feed now. So we'll probably do one more before the bowl actually happens. We'll see. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's what week from today, right? I'm week totally, from today, yeah. totally losing yeah. track of, uh, of what day it is, but yeah, it's coming up today. fast. It's, it's crazy. So yeah, it's, uh, it's happening. Yeah. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. And, uh, I, I definitely found listening to you guys after the, uh, the bull stuff a little bit, a little bit cathartic. So we try, yeah, <laughs> All <laughs> we, right, man. we appreciate you. All right. You guys okay. take care and, uh, we will uh, talk to you soon. All right. Take it easy. All right. Bye. Thanks everybody. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 